Last week's subject, we started on developing godly friendships or godly relationships, and I thought it was just going to be a real simple lesson. Didn't really know why God was having me uh, cover it. But what I found out from, from some of you is that it was a lot deeper than I thought and that it was really peeling back some layers of some damage that's been done in life that, that kind of cut you off from wanting uh, deeper relationships. And so God's peeling back some layers so that we can build God relationships. I believe we're going to need them more and more in, in the last of the last days to support each other. And so he's getting our hearts ready. And I want you to know that you can use your faith to believe for good godly friends. Uh, God, If God put it in there that we weren't supposed to be alone and he put us scriptures in there about friends, uh, we're not going to cover a lot of those tonight, but Proverbs has got a lot of scriptures about friendship. Uh, he wouldn't put those in there if he didn't desire us to have good godly relationships, good godly friendships. So please know, start believing for it. Start thanking God that he, he provides you companionship and good friendship and with people of, of like and precious faith. So we covered a lot of scriptures last week. Today we're just going to kind of talk about Jonathan and David. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel uh, 18, I'm just going to basically do reading out of the Bible tonight. And what I would, this is Bible study, isn't it? What I'm going to ask you to do as we're, obviously we don't have time to read this whole story because it goes for chapters and even books. Uh, it goes, it goes in, over into 2 Samuel as well. But, but Jonathan and David are such a powerful example of friendship as a covenant, a covenant friendship. So I kind of subtitled tonight, I just gave it part two from last week, Developing Godly Relationships, but I kind of subtitled it, Friend as a Covenant Word. Because the world, the world doesn't understand friend as a covenant word. They, friends come and go, they cut people off, people disappoint them, they're done. And, and even Christians, uh, because of hurts or or selfishness, whatever, I mean, just because we became Christians, it mean we became great, like, perfect. So we're, we're learning, we're renewing our mind. So to think of a friend as a covenant word, and we talked a little bit about that last week, the different meanings of some of the words friend in the scripture, it's deep, it, and it's powerful, and Jonathan and David picture it beautifully. So if you'll go to 1 Samuel 18, and as we read, I'm going to ask that you, you write down words or thoughts that come to you that you see in this story that characterize godly friendship. Like, that's key. That's key to a godly friendship. Because I know a lot of you are wanting to develop some of those inner circle friendships that we talked about last week. Those deep, um, man, inner circle. I don't know what else to call them. Close relationships and not just have Facebook friends, but people that you can be there for and people that will be there for you. So write down things, words, thoughts that characterize godly friendship and kind of what this story shows you about friend as a covenant word. Now, just a little background for those that don't know. Jonathan in this story was the son of King Saul, and he is going to be heir to the throne. David is Jesse's son who was out keeping sheep when a prophet came to town wanting to anoint somebody, you're fine, wanting to anoint somebody who God's going to show him who will be the next king. Now this doesn't look like a good makeup for Jonathan and David to be friends because the prophet anointed David to be king when Jonathan's father was king. And it looks like Jonathan and David should be enemies. It, it looks like David could be a threat to the throne. And it works out so, well, it works out the will of God. And, and that's it. 
A godly relationship serves God's purpose for both parties. A godly relationship will always serve God's purpose for both parties. And, you know, I know I talked about a lot about me and Tanya last week, and obviously your mates would be your first. But I'm talking about friendship, friendship. What God did for his purpose in the ministry by making Tanya's mother-in-law and my grandmother friends, Tanya and I friends, our girls friends, and now our grandchildren friends. And how he's, served, he's, he's serving the kingdom of God through our friendship. If y'all got food tonight, Tanya put it out. If y'all get fed at any occasion here, Tanya, Tanya and her crew cooked it. And it's through this relationship that the kingdom is even more blessed. So a godly relationship serves God's purpose. Remember that when you're looking for somebody to marry. That relationship should serve God's purpose for both of you. And when you're looking for friendships, that friendship should serve God's purpose for both of you. If it's lopsided, it's manipulation, and it's wrong. Okay? I know I gave you all a lot of beforehand, but we'll, we'll jump in here. 1 Samuel 18. It was really hard to condense this, and I hope I don't lose you. But that's who Jonathan was and who David was. And in uh, verse 18, the boys are, are talking. David has been called in several times to play music for King Saul uh, because King Saul was very troubled by an evil spirit. And when David would play, uh, it would leave him. So David's been around a little bit. But in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking to Saul, David had been speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, we covered that verse last week, and we talked about how Jonathan was drawn to, he was drawn to the character of David. This isn't anything weird. This is, is God putting two people together for his purpose. And you may find this sometimes, that you might be drawn to somebody. And I'm not talking about somebody of the opposite sex for the wrong reasons. I'm talking about when Tanya and I met, I don't even know where we met or how we met. But when we met, we immediately met. And you know, one of the reasons why is because we were on the same road. And I don't mean where we lived. We had the same mindset as far as we were serving God. We we're loving our families. We were serving God. But when we met, we really, we met. When Jonathan and David were in this verse, their soul was knit together. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I'll try not to re-preach last week's message. And Saul took him that day. King Saul took David in that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. Now, it says that Saul loved David when Saul first met David, but he's, that's a great example of a wrong relationship because Saul only loved David when he wanted David, when he needed David. And when David became a threat or David started getting the praises of the people for killing Goliath, he tried to kill him. Numerous times he tried to kill him. So though he said he loved him, ungodly relationship. Okay? Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. This is godly relationship. You know, there is no greater love than when a man lays down his life for his friend. This is godly relationship. And you can only do that if it's godly. Otherwise, it's abuse, it's manipulation. You can only do this when it's godly. They made a covenant. And this was a sign of the covenant. Verse 4 is kind of a sign of the covenant. It was something that they did back in the day. You can read the history on it. But it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him 
And he gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. That, you know, they held everything together. This is the king's son taking off the kingly robe. And yes, this is top and shadow of Jesus. We're going to try not to go there tonight. Took off what identified him as royalty and he put it on the shepherd boy. Now when David walks through town, now when David walks past the armies, he's wearing the robe of the son of the king. You're talking about some authority. I know it's hard not to go top and shadow here, isn't it? Uh, of representing Jesus, putting the robe of righteousness on us. But, but this is friendship here that we're studying tonight. You can go back and study it in the other light later. He gave it to David, even his bow to his girdle. This was a sign or a pledge of the covenant of their friendship. It identified them together. When you look up uh, the word covenant here, it's an alliance, it's a pledge, it's a mutual agreement, it's an oath between the two, these two guys. It's a, it's a devotion to each other. It's an alliance, a pledge, a mutual agreement. It's an oath. It has to be mutual on both sides, okay? Now we're going to skip over. I know it's hard not to read it all because it's just such a fascinating story. But skip on over to chapter 19, and let's look at some of the signs of the covenant that they just made. King Saul, verse 1, spake to Jonathan his son, because now he's mad at David, because David's winning wars, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. Oh, we got a problem. We got a problem. King Saul, daddy, Jonathan's daddy, is requesting that his son Jonathan and all of his servants kill the man that he just made a covenant with. And, and I love something that a friend of mine told me, that when family clashes with God's call, you got a choice to make. you got a choice to make. What a powerful example of what they shared with me. Saul spake to Jonathan, to his servants, they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Don't forget, daddy's the king. He seeks to kill you. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. This covenant... They protect each other. Friends protect each other. They don't expose each other. They protect each other. A godly covenant friendship, you will protect each other. And so he chose to even above what his daddy wanted him to do. Because covenant is a strong word. Stronger than we understand it in our culture today. He had cut a covenant, made a covenant with, with David, and he was bound to that covenant of friendship more so than doing wrong that his father requested him to do. That's some pretty powerful stuff. Skip over to chapter 20. <clears throat> There's so much good stuff in between here. I, I encourage y'all to go read the whole story. But Saul had tried to kill David. Uh, evil spirit had come, come upon him. And uh, David still went and played for him. David still went and played for him. He still brought relief. Saul had a javelin in his hand. And David had a harp in his It's powerful. But David was so devoted to God and knew that the king was put in place by God. Put in place by God and removed by God. And he was also so committed to Jonathan through his covenant oath with Jonathan. The scripture says he would not touch God's anointed. 
If David was going to become king, it was not going to be because he killed Saul. It was going to be because God put him on the throne. And so even when Saul did wrong, David wouldn't touch him. That's the kind of man. And Jonathan got to see that. It's not part of where I wanted to go. But nonetheless, chapter 20. I love this part because covenant friendship doesn't mean that there won't ever be issues. You're talking about two humans. I was talking to John today about people coming into the ark and animals coming into the ark. I said, you know, when you're getting a bunch of people, even though it's their salvation, to, to bring them together, that lion has still got to be in the pen across from the lamp. And that tiger has still got to be out there with the, with the zebras. Even though it's there to save them, sometimes there's issues that have to be worked through. And so with friendship, it's the same way. And verse 1 says that David had fled and because Saul had tried to kill him again. And he came and he, and he talked to Jonathan and he said, What have I done, Jonathan? What is my iniquity or my sin? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeks after my life? And he said unto him, God forbid thou shalt not die. Basically, he's kind of going, dude, chill. You're not going to die. Dad's not going to kill you. I mean, David's serious. This guy has just tried to kill him. He says, Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will not show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. It's a challenging friendship. Your dad just tried to kill me. I don't believe you. <laughs> that could divide a lot of people. Right there, most of us would have cut off the relationship. But they keep talking. They keep talking. David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in your eyes. And he said, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as my soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for you. Okay, we worked through it. He trusted David enough that he believed him over what he thought about his own family. That's strong. That's so strong. So once again, again and again, he protects David from Saul. And then down in verse 14, I know I'm jumping around here. Hope you can stay with me in the story. Let me go up to 13. The Lord do so and much more to Jonathan, but if it please my father to do, to do you evil, then I will show it to you and I will send you away that you may go in peace and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. Know not when the Lord has cut off your enemies and every one of them from the face of the earth. Now, I had to go back because this was just kind of tangled to me. And so I read it out of the NIV. And it said, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live. That's what a godly covenant friendship is. Show me unfailing kindness. That means even when I hurt your feelings, even when I do something that might not have been a good choice, if you know my heart and I know your heart, then show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. As long as I live, and do not ever cut off your kindness to my family. So now we see this friendship between David and, 
and Jonathan going beyond themselves. And that's what, that's what we've got to witness in our friendship. And, and there's scriptures, I can't remember where it is, that talks about uh, being good to the friends of your father. There's a heritage here in friendship. And so we're, we're raising up a couple of generations below us that do not have that privilege because we've come through a generation of people that cut off friendships just like that. And so there's not this family culture of they're like family. Are they family or are they friends? When we live in Arkansas, anybody else know that you have aunts and uncles that aren't really your aunts and uncles? You just called them aunt and uncle because they've been there ever since the day you were born and they were so close to you that you couldn't tell if they were family or if they were neighbors or they were friends. I mean, our whole little Pleasant View community is kind of like that. You know, the Rise, the Smiths, the Browns. You know, we have that because we came out of a generation that honored friendship. And the scripture tells us to keep honoring what our parents built in friendships and to let it be generational. I loved that. So Jonathan, verse 16, made a covenant with the house of David saying, oh, and now he's making it with the house of David. The house of David. Not just David, but the house of David. Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies, or let them be accountable. And Jonathan calls David to, to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now it's not just cut a covenant between them, it's a covenant cut between the houses, between the families, with the kindness like the Lord has being there for as long as they live and... Don't cut it off from my family that's coming after me. We need to work on building friendships, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. We're the body of Christ. We're all connected. And, and I love it when, when Braden and Emily have friends that call me Nana. I'm going to baptize one of them soon. They call me Nana. We need to be building godly friendships, not just for ourselves, but for our houses, for our generations. That's how powerful this covenant of friendship can be. Turn the page. I don't know that you have to turn the page. <laughs> I have to turn the page. We should all have the same Bible, then I can just give you a page number. Um. Saul gets angry again. He, he's angry at Jonathan. He's, you know, he's calling him names and, and he's coming after David again. And so Jonathan's needing to be able to give David a signal on whether he's safe to come in or, and see Saul or if it, see Saul. <laughs> That's funny. See King Saul. And, <laughs> or if it's not, you know, what's his mood today? Is he going to try to kill him today or is he going to want him to play today? So, um, they have to part because King Saul is not doing well. This is a huge moment for these guys. In verse 41, still of chapter 20, when the servant had given David the signal that you have to leave, uh, King Saul is not in good shape. As soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place toward the south and he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed himself three times before Jonathan, and they kissed each other. And please don't think that's wrong. It's just a cultural thing. They kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. This was great sorrow. These two friends who, who had served the purpose of God together were going to have to part. Verse 42 says, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace for as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, I love this statement, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. 
We did a whole teaching on this one time at Ladies Bible Study. The one I referred to last week that mom taught and the one I taught was on this verse. I love this verse. The Lord be between me and thee and my seed and your seed forever. That's a covenant friendship. I think it's the English Standard Version says, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And what that shows me, if he's between me and Anna, if God's between me and Anna, he is the center of our relationship. I have to look, I have to look at you through him, and you have to look at me through him. The Lord be between me and thee forever. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's not that the other person's perfect. You wouldn't like them if they were perfect. There should be an amen right there. Jesus was perfect. There's people that didn't like him. He was perfect. They just think they're perfect. It's probably what we'd be saying if we had a friend that was perfect. Not that Tanya's not perfect, but... Man, what a powerful moment in the story. Story goes on. Lots of things happen. David has some great victories. He goes on with his life. He's, he's separated from, from Jonathan, but their hearts are still, their souls are still knit together. And, and that's a good sign of a good friendship is distance is not a threat to your relationship and you can talk to each other after a while and it's just like you just pick right back up where you left off and like no time has even happened or no distance and now we've got ways to to talk more more frequently and even see each other you know but back then it wasn't so and in verse 31 this is a tough one because the Philistines are fighting against Israel and they were chasing Saul and his sons, and they slew uh, the sons, which included Jonathan. And they injured Saul. The archers hit him. And this is the famous uh, part in verse 4 where Saul tells the armor bearer to draw his sword and to kill him before the enemy gets to him. So Saul and Jonathan... And the other boys have died. Uh, one of the boys becomes king. Anyway, he's removed, uh, killed. And then David ascends to the throne as he was anointed to do by the prophet and by God. When he gets into uh, the throne and he's placed as king, what does a new king do when he gets on the throne? What does he do to the previous king's kills them he kills them so that that king's seed can't rise up and take the kingdom back now they don't do that now okay but back in the day if it wasn't in your family and somebody took the throne they killed them and so David's on the throne and he starts asking if there's any heirs to Saul yeah yes and David said, this is verse 9 of 2 Samuel. I'm sorry, chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. And this is, this is where we see covenant continue. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. So, so David goes to Ziba and he says, Is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said, Jonathan has a son and he's lame on his feet. The, the nursemaid had, had, had tried to run with Jonathan and fell with him and he was crippled and so Ziba told him where he was and verse 5 King David sent and fetched for him out of the house in Lodabar 
And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold your servant. And David said to him, Fear not. Whew. I get to keep my head. <laughs> you know, that's what he's thinking. I, I get to keep my head. Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Whew, covenant. Our covenant with God through Jesus Christ, we were crippled. Jesus led us in to come dine at, at his father's table. You know, there's a beautiful picture here, but I want us to observe the covenant and how powerful it was that David sought him out because he, had, he made a promise and he had a covenant friendship with Jonathan. And he bowed himself and he said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? That was Mephibosheth's response to this kindness. Who am I that you would look on me uh, this way? At, as, and I, I'm, a, I'm a dead dog, <laughs> as I am. He was crippled. His, his, parent, his uh, grandfather had been dethroned. His father was dead. And we just everything was working against this guy. David goes on. He starts, he starts assigning the land that was Saul's, and he assigns the servants to, to go work the land for him and to bring him all the fruit. And he, he once again says, you will eat, verse 11, you'll eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Not as the ex-king's grandson. You're going to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he did eat continually at the king's table, even though he was lame on both his feet. Man, what commitment. David didn't forget his friendship. He didn't, he didn't forget his covenant friendship. And, you know, I, I love the fact that the body of Christ is supposed to function in this kind of friendship with each other. That if Jody's daughter needs me, or if my daughter needs you, if your daughter needs me, or your son needs, you know, Wes, if, that we should function in this kind of way, that we would seek them out. That if you're in trouble and somebody's after you, I seek out your protection. I don't care if you're guilty or innocent, but that we would protect each other. I want to know the words. We're not done. But I want to know some of the things, if you wrote some things. I was just amazed at the respect that these two guys had for each other. The, the honor that they had for each other, that they would even cross family lines uh, to do what was right for each other, to do what was right for God, because their friendship was a God thing. It was to serve God. It was to serve his purpose. And I think we always have to come back to that right there, because I'm not talking about protecting somebody from something that's going to, you know, that they need exposed. Sometimes, you know, there's times that a friend can tell us straight up, and we might not like it, what we need to do. But if it's out of a heart of love, it is for protection. But for me, it was the respect and honor that really stood out to me. Did anybody else pick up on some attributes? Dylan, radical humility. That's good. Yeah, on several occasions, actually, in that story, to humble themselves before each other. It's a good one. I didn't have that one. I'm going to... Anybody else? Don't make me preach. Carly? Godly submission. Very good. Yeah, they didn't stick together when it was, you know, if it was something ungodly. But, boy, the way they submitted to each other 
for the purposes of God. Think, to think about Jonathan being the king's son and putting his stuff on what? Submission and humility. Vulnerability. It did. It said David cried the most exceedingly or something like that. That's good. Friends we can be vulnerable with and be safe. Let me grab Brett real quick. That's really good. Steadfast and for the long run. Steadfast and for the long run. You know, friends sometimes do stuff we don't like, and sometimes we do stuff friends don't like. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we have moments. But I love how the communication of these guys, they didn't cut off the communication because to cut off the communication is to cut off kindness. And so they were willing to talk it out and to, to come to a place where they were back on the same page. They were that committed because covenant meant something. They didn't have to be right. They, they sought the truth. So that's good. Anybody else? Yes. I was going to say that some people don't like that. That's so good. Could you hear that, Brett, back there under the vent? He, he was saying some people say blood is thicker than water. But it was not that way with Jonathan and David because they were, to, they were out to please the Lord. And so they went against family, and a lot of times family doesn't like that. But our heart is to please the Lord, and so blood's not thicker than our hearts that want to please the Lord. So we go on, we please the Lord, they either come with us or they don't come with us. Um, Great, great point. I love the protecting part of this, that friendship is protecting Also that there was giving, I I put down that there should be signs, um, signs, fruit of friendship. Uh, David took off, I mean, Jonathan took off his his, um, robe and his sword and his bow. And he, covenants always have an exchanging of gifts. So I, I, I love that part. There should be giving on both sides of friendship. I love the confidentiality in this friendship. Huge confidentiality in this friendship. Multiple times. They could trust each other with what was said. You know, if David had let out what Jonathan was doing, uh, giving him insider information, uh, Saul would have probably killed his own son. It wasn't a big deal to do back then. So the confidentiality was very key. Um, communication I had down, you know, because they, they, they were willing to talk it out. Uh, devotion, even when they were apart, uh, it did not end. The devotion didn't end. It remained. Uh, the trust that was there, I think we mentioned that. They saw that their friendship was bigger than themselves. I love that in the story. Their friendship was bigger than themselves. It, it was generational. And even in the kingdom, it was bigger than themselves. In the nation itself, it was bigger than them. It was, it was a God thing. It was for the kingdom. And I, I love that, that God was the center of their relationship. The Lord be between me and thee and my seed and your seed forever. That's why, you know, when y'all come here and, and some of you come and go, like you move off, and I, I, I just want you to know we're here. We're here, and, and we're here for the long haul. You could be 20 years down the road, but if, if, if you've been seated into here and you need somebody to talk to or you just want to come by and you're traveling back through town, please, please stop because it's, it's a forever thing when it's in the body of Christ. Anybody else? I kind of went rogue there. Kyle? Okay, give me those one at a time. Integrity on both both parts. Maturity. Maturity. That's good. Obligation or obligated. Obligated. Generous and genuine. Generous and genuine. I like that. It's good. Maturity. I'm not your friend anymore. That's playground stuff. 
You didn't let me on the monkey bars first. You're not my friend anymore. That's playground stuff. We should be past that in the body of Christ. John? Effortless. Effortless. It's not a drain. That godly relationship's not a drain. You fill each other up. It's not that that person's always in a good mood or you're always in a good mood, but somebody's always filling each other up, and that's good. Anybody else? Like, get a mic. <laughs> look, look, Ken's on the move. She's been studying it this week, ever since we taught it last week. So, And I, I just enjoyed last week so much. Well, in studying about friends um, that we were in, I think, Proverbs 17. Last, last week. week. But the Matthew Henry commentary was really good. It says he talked about shallow friends. Mm. And there is a big difference because a shallow friend, your soul is not connected to that person. But he said shallow friends are those that fly to you in the summer but are gone in the winter. He said such friends there is no loss of. Mm. And then when I looked some of this up in 1824 where it says... 1824 of Proverbs. Proverbs. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend Mm -hmm. that sticketh closer than a brother. This has been so good because... It's a deep study when you start studying about what friend really means. Mm-hmm. And this really blessed me out of the God's Word translation. He said, friends can destroy one another. Mm-hmm. But a loving friend can stick closer than family. And I think that word loving is the key here mm-hmm. uh, to him not taking what I say about you mm-hmm. or what you have done to me or what I've done in the past. The loving is the connection and the key here, and it will keep me attached as a friend to you if I don't listen to somebody say, so, do you know what she did? Yeah. Do you know what they said about me? But when we're a loving friend, that will never enter in to influence. We're not going to be that... Um, Shallow. <laughs> you remain attached. You remain attached. Rather than attaching to somebody else's offense. And he said, this is how you tell a true friend. It's good. And that is the truth. We, we find out real quick when, when we do something stupid or we do something wrong or maybe they just think we did. Then you find out. there's True friendship remains. We work through it. They're giving me some good notes tonight. Think we can get one more verse in? Okay. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll we'll do this one and then we'll we'll stop for the night. Jonathan and David, what a story. I encourage you to go back and read all the way through. And if you didn't hear last week's message, uh, you can go online and listen to it on the RCC page. Just go to the in-depth tab and... It should be up from last week. We went into a lot more. Those verses that mom covered, we, we talked about what it meant to stick. <laughs> you know, there's a friend that sticketh closer to them. We talked about the two different words, friends, in that verse, what each one meant, that there was a, a more shallow friend and then there was a deeper friend mentioned in that. So that was a good study. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified. I'm also going to add some words from the Strongs, but I'll let you know when I do that. Verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, anytime I've ever heard this verse, people are talking about marriage. Well, obviously, your mate should be your friend. It should apply, okay? But that's not what it's talking about. He's talking talking to to the church at Corinth, and he said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make mismated alliances. As how they amplified. Do not make mismated alliances with them. And listen to this. Or come under a different yoke with them. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Right? 
And he said, when we're unequally yoked with somebody that's it's yoked to somebody other than Christ, connected to something other than Christ, then when we come into to friendship with them, relationship with them, we come under a different yoke with them. That's serious business. I'm not talking about you lose your salvation. I'm just talking about when you're yoked together, you're going to go in the same direction. Right, Jody? You and I can remember oxen yokes. Not, not that we've ever worked a farm with one or anything, but I've seen them hanging on the antique mall, you know. And, and their heads were in the same piece of equipment together. And if you were yoked together with them, you are going where they go. So we've got to stay yoked with people who are yoked to Christ, that are going where Christ is leading them. And so he says, don't, don't come under a different yoke with them that's inconsistent with your faith. That's how they amplified. Isn't that good? That's inconsistent with your faith. The strong said, don't associate discordantly. In other words, this is not what you want. This is not where you want to go. Don't be yoked with people that are not going where you want to go, where God wants you to go. Back to the Amplified. For, that, for what partnership, Strong says, what fellowship, what participation have right living and right standing with God, with iniquity and lawlessness. What participation does the right living and right standing with God have with iniquity and lawlessness? What are we thinking? What are we thinking? And I know, and we'll, we'll talk about this verse later. Everybody thinks the scripture says that Jesus was friends with sinners. I've heard it in Christian songs on the Christian radio. Go look at it. I encourage you to go look at it. He brought people to where he was or he had to leave them where they were. He didn't go with them in their direction. He offered them his direction. Take my yoke upon you. Right? Learn of me, he said. So there's a big difference. What participation, what fellowship, what partnership do you have with iniquity and lawlessness? Or how can light have fellowship with darkness? It, it, it can't. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? What, what harmony? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? I know what culture says we need to do. Culture is not my God. And, and, and this is a protectant that God, this wisdom that Paul is giving them because they were, they were going back into the cultural things that were ha happening around them and becoming participants in them. This is people in church that were beginning to participate and fellowship with darkness and do the things that they were doing. And he was like, think about this. What, what does light have to do with darkness? What does Christ have to do with the devil? Or what, what does the believer have in common with, the, with an unbeliever? What, verse 16, what agreement can there be between a temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You're the temple of the living God. What can you have to do with idols, things that try to take the place of God, when you're the temple of the living God? You know, there's something I say to Anna all the time. I haven't said it in a while, so I'll make up for it tonight and do it publicly. Almost all of Anna's life that she's been here, I've looked at her and I say, keep it pure. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Keep it pure. What, don't put something else in the mix. What agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols for 
We are the temple of the living God. Even as God said, I will dwell in and with and among them and will walk in and with and among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he goes on and it gets even stronger and he tells you to separate yourself, that you are called out from this world. Do we still minister to the world? Yes. But we don't participate and take their yoke upon us. Jesus would go, he would minister to them, he would minister to love to them, he loved them deeply, he would heal them, I mean, he would forgive them, and then they had a choice to turn and go with him and yoke up with him, or they stayed where they were. And I I think that's where Christian culture today is missing it a lot. We weren't made to look like the world. We weren't. We're the city on a hill. We're the light and the darkness, right? So I love that passage. I think it's a powerful passage. There's several more like it. But I wanted to give you a New Testament to bring us back to the truth. And so when we hear things in Christian culture that say different than this, that we have something foundational straight from uh, the Apostle Paul, straight from the throne room of heaven through him, that teaches us the difference in tolerance. All of the words that are being taught now, we've got to know the difference. God hates sin, loves people. Why does he hate sin? Because it kills people. It separates people from him. So uh, that's that's the way we have to take it. We just can't participate. We can't participate in it. Anybody got anything else before we? I know that's a strong passage. <laughs> Roger, Roger is assisting Lori getting her hand up. <laughs> when you talk about the their souls being bound, and and when it refers to here, you know, there is a soul tie. Yes. There, you know. So what are you attaching to? That's good. And there's, there's a lot of things that tie our souls together in an ungodly way. Uh, premarital sex. It ties your soul together. And so if that person is not uh, godly, you have a soul tie with them. And that's why you have trouble getting rid of them. That's why you have trouble uh, splitting up after you've slept together you have, because there's an ungodly soul tie there. And so, you know, there's different things. Uh, getting into trouble together uh, can cause some ungodly soul ties. Uh, you know each other's secrets and they're not good. That can cause uh, ungodly soul ties if, if you don't call each other out on it. Because a good friend a good friend's going to call me out. I might not like it, but a good friend's going to call me out. So... You know, there's different things that can cause it. I'm glad you brought that up. There's some really weird teachings on ungodly soul ties that I found. Uh, I just think if we yoke up with Christ, he'll show us who else to yoke up with. Uh, Somebody that's going the same direction. And so, uh, you know, one of the first things you have to do is if you're getting into trouble with somebody else is you've got to separate. You just can't. And they can come with you or you can leave them behind. But... You have, to, you have to go where Christ is going, where he's taking you. 